Hi, Ben. Hi, Jason. I'm sorry. Do your do your little intro thing. My bad. Welcome to the Green Suiters Podcast. Dee, 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 dee. This is, if you've noticed, ladies and gentlemen, there's only two of us. Three, if you count Hans. He's cooking bratwurst. There still is three. Yeah, we still do have Hans, and I've got a lot for him tonight. Sedge sadly cannot be with us today. He's moved on. He's he uh, started the um, the blue pajama podcast. Yep, he is no longer a part of this podcast. Everybody, we're sorry to announce it, but he's really him. passionate about blue pajamas. So we said, "Hey, man, go chase your passions." Yeah, go chase your dreams, Sedge. <laughs> blue pajamas and all. <laughs> no, he's still here. He's just not here tonight. He, he had to travel for for the day job. Yep. He's on his way to Providence, Rhode Island right now. You're going too soon, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Tomorrow? Thursday morning. Thursday morning. We'll talk about that. Do your little intro. We don't want to rob the audience of the intro. I don't have I don't have an intro. Well, it's a actually, it's a community actually, episode. Actually, I do. It's a, it's a community episode. You're right. I do. We got a little Ladies off track. We did. But we're back. We did. I totally forgot I totally forgot the intro. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Green Suiters Podcast, a woodworking podcast. And every five episodes, we like to opine the community. We like to ask questions. We like to get their concerns, comments, and ideas. We ask that, that they submit them through Instagram, through YouTube, <clears throat> and we ask our patrons to submit their, their, their feedback. And then if, it's, uh, if, it, if we feel like that it's worthy enough to get it some airtime, then we ask it here on the community episode. So if you have any questions that you have for any of us, some con- uh, some concerns, some complaints, some ideas maybe you have, make sure you send them over to us. And again, it may get read on the podcast. And right now, um, we have like 20-something questions. So <laughs> Yeah, we do. We we have quite the backlog to get through. But um, but no, we, we'd love to, to get some new questions in. So again, if you want to get featured on uh, an upcoming community episode. Again, we do them every five episodes. Then you can you can submit it anytime. It doesn't have to be when we push it out on Instagram or Patreon. So without further ado, Jason and I, we have this big list of questions in front of us and we're just going to we're just going to dive straight into it. Can I We're going to start Can I can I make a public service announcement before we start? Yes. Please excuse the amount of questions tonight from Ed Mancini. Uh, ben decided to uh, poll the audience at the last minute. So Ed, because he likes to hear his name read by me and Ben and our luscious, amazing voices over and over again, he sent in like 400 questions. So most of the questions tonight will probably come from Ed Mancini, but he does have some good ones in all fairness. Even though he's a tanker. Dirty tanker. Dirty, disgusting. Dirty. We don't... We don't do what we've been up to, right? Because we're just answering questions. Mm-hmm. No, nope, we're, we're jumping straight into it. Okay, fine. Stop you yelling. Want... Would you like to go first? No, you go first because I need to read things. Do you have one already chosen? Um, and no, no, I don't. Okay, well, I'll, I'll just pick the. I'll pick the top one. Okay. Uh, so Ed asks, "What advice can you give to those that nitpick their own work?" Um, I, I think that it's always good to be critical of your work. Uh, I think it's always good to look at maybe how can you do things different or or better. 
you know, I mean, Ed's military, he, he understands the, uh, the adage of you're always looking to improve your foxhole. And so, um, understand that because it is your work, you are going to see mistakes way more than anyone else ever will. That doesn't mean that you can like let your standards drop, but just understand that people are not going to notice the mistakes as well as you do because you're the one that made them. Um, but you know, you have to understand that whatever it is that you make, that is an indication of the skill set of where you're currently at. And that's what it is. You know, don't, don't, labor yourself over don't stretch yourself over just say hey well this is the best that i could do for my current skill set or my with my current tools and that's just what it is you know there's always the next time there's always the next project and you just gotta you gotta you gotta move on man you gotta you gotta maintain the momentum don't let it hold you down just move on so um Funny that he's asking this question because I had an interesting conversation with him yesterday about this. My advice is going to be the same that I told him yesterday, and that's just stop being a crappy woodworker. <laughs> that's about to, I was about to say, just stop being a 19 kilo. Yeah, just stop being the the woodworking equivalent to your MOS in the military. You know what I mean? Like if you're okay with things being sloppy, being then you're a tanker. Yeah, being substandard. Not that great. No, I'm just kidding. It's... Um, I'm going to echo everything Ben says, uh, but what I've found is that especially early on, a lot of the things that we nitpick ourselves on, you know, you can nitpick all day long. It's what are you going to do to fix it? Well, if you're not going to do anything to fix it, don't worry about it. Learn about it and move on. Um, understand what matters and what doesn't. And what I mean by that is, and some people are going to scoff at me for this, but when I was doing client work, it was like I did the same with everything, even stuff that wasn't going to be seen. I would waste all kinds of paint on, you know, painting the interior of things that are never going to be seen and everything had to be made by me and all of these things. And then I finally got to a point where I was like, why am I worrying about these things that don't matter? You know what I mean? I'm being super critical on something that literally does not matter. And as soon as you start figuring out what those things are and what matters and what really truly doesn't matter, I think the better off you'll be. Like I enjoy woodworking way more now um, since I kind of had that realization. And it's not that I'm you know, trying to build crap furniture. It's just that there's things that matter and there's things that don't. And nobody is a bigger critic of our work other than ourselves. Um, yeah. and Ben was dead on about that. The, the two desktops, uh, that I just got done putting the Ruby on, it came out beautiful. It looks fantastic. But when I get close to it, I see mistakes. I see things that I don't like. Uh, I have some swirl marks. You don't really notice it with Rubio, but, um, and a lot of that was remnants of the first time I built it and it was for my own home and I was using pure. So none of that stuff shows up and, I went through the sanding process again and all these things, right? So there, it's not perfect. And guys like me, you, uh, Ed, all these, uh, Sedge, all these other people that are doing woodwork and stuff, you would come over and you'd probably notice it. Nobody else is ever going to notice it. They're not even going to know and what I it is. Compl- and I would completely point it out to you, but like, Jason, what is this? Yeah. Like, this is trash. Why are you making crappy things? Don't get me wrong. I mean, Burn they it. turned out, I, I love the way that that, freaking Rubio turned out on those damn I hate stain but man does it look good um 
but yeah, we're 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 bigger critics. We're we're looking at the details because we're the ones that are putting the things together and, and know what details are. People you're building stuff for, they don't know what those details are. They just see the big picture. Yeah. So don't be so hard on yourself, Ed. And just be a better woodworker. Sorry. I love you. It's totally fine. All right. All right, you want to pick the next one? Uh, I guess I do. And well, geez, I have uh, seventy-four questions from Ed Mancini. <laughs> I let's. Yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll ask some of the Instagram ones next. Oh, I see what you did. You did. A, I didn't know he was a patron. Um, mm-hmm. we'll definitely get to. He's he's a new he's a new patron. Okay, we'll definitely get to the patron ones. But let me let me jump down here to some of the ones that have been asked a long time ago, and we never had. A chance to do it. Halls, this is on Instagram at hallshardwood.com. Kind of sounds like a porn site. Um, his question was this was like one of the first questions we got, I honestly. What is your go to table saw blade if you could only choose one? Um, and this is interesting. This would have been a very easy question for me to answer six months ago. I'm still going to go with that answer. If I could only pick one blade, I would tell you to get the Forest Woodworker 2. And that is a general purpose, multi-purpose blade. It's a forest blade. It's fantastic. It does. I had that table saw blade in my table saw for, God, I don't even know how long, well over a year. Um, And that was the only one I used for everything. Great, great saw. If I had to talk about a specific design of a table saw blade, I would tell you to get a general purpose. Um, lately, I've started to get interested in in putting other specific blades like crosscut, general purpose, and ripping blades. And what I found with the ripping blade, I actually find myself using the ripping blade a lot um, because I'm not doing a lot of crosscutting on the table saw anymore. But what I am doing at the table saw is box joints, finger joints, uh, dados, grooves, that kind of thing. And the great thing about um, most, if not all, I might be wrong, but at least all of the ripping blades that I have is that they're all a flat top grind. So they give you that perfect square edge on dados, grooves, stuff like that. And that's very important. And the one that I've been using a lot lately is uh, two, two actually, uh, CMT. Mm-hmm. ripping blade and the new Harvey uh, table saw blades. I've been, I've actually been running the Harvey now for probably three months straight. I don't think I've taken the ripping blade out of the table saw in the last three months. Um, and they're really good blades. They're made by Leeds, which is the same company that uh, makes the blades for Festool, if I'm not mistaken. Um, really good blades. But if I had to just pick one, it would be a general purpose. And I really like the Forest Woodworker 2. Ridge Carbide also makes a fantastic general purpose blade. Um, which I would say is on par with the Forest Woodworker 2. It's just a little bit cheaper, but that is my answer. I don't have a table saw, so I have no comment. All right, that's great. Moving on. Ben, you're up next. (laughs) This is great. We're probably going to answer like 40 questions tonight. This comes from uh, Mike uh, from Patreon, Mike Lido of Lido's Woodshop. And he asked, uh, tips on controlling squeeze out from glue tape. Do you use the straw trick? Scrape it when semi-dry. Um, what I, I do is um, I, I try to pre-finish as much as I can because that makes glue cleanup so much easier. Um, I know that that's not always uh, the case. You can't always pre-finish your pieces before you assemble them. Um, 
but I just use for when I'm using hardwoods, I have a toothbrush, like a really, really, really soft bristle toothbrush that I keep with a cup of water. I keep a wet rag nearby, so whenever I uh, put the joint together and I clamp it, I uh, wipe off any of the excess, like big globs of glue with the with the damp rag, and then I take the soft bristle toothbrush and I just very gently um, hit the joint with it, rinse it off a couple times, and then wipe it again with a fresh towel, and that typically keeps the glue out of the the face screens and then for again for all the all my pretty finished stuff um i just i wipe it down as soon as i clamp it and so that's my how i do it jason how do you do it um i put the exact perfect amount of glue and there is no squeeze out <laughs> I, I don't know why that's funny it's 100 percent true are you like um god what's his name Four eyes, Chris Alimony, you know, like he always does, like the the paintbrush, like esque, yeah, no. on his, he, like it's like very just deliberate and delicate. No, in in all honesty, um, I obviously I still get squeeze out. That's not, um, that was a joke, but I don't get nearly as much as I used to because I don't go as crazy with glue nowadays as I used to because it's unnecessary in my opinion and wasteful. Um, it depends on the application. If I'm doing miters. And I don't know why it's miters specifically, but if I'm doing miters, I actually like to tape off the edges um, because both edges that the glue squeeze out would happen on, on the interior corners, they're visible because it's cut there as a cl- opposed to a butt joint. You would have to know like how thick your material is and then tape everything off. It's just kind of be more of a pain. So miters, I actually tape and that's fantastic because whatever squeeze out you get, you literally just peel your tape off and it peels it off with it. Yeah. So that's, that's a fantastic option. Um, I, it depends on what finish I'm using, but what I will tell you is that I've become a very big fan of letting it almost dry and then removing it or completely dry and then cleaning it up at the end with a chisel. And I will do that method nine times out of 10 if I didn't have a lot of squeeze out. And again, my squeeze out's a lot more minimal. I think that you have to be really careful when you do that, especially if you're using like a really open pour material like oak. Um, because that glue will just kind of embed itself into the some of those open fibers. So, yeah, I, I, I just saw you're saying, Jay, I think you have to kind of pre-plan it out a little bit. If you're doing miters, you could tape it, but that I, you using the, the toothbrush, the wet toothbrush and a wet rag that I've been doing that for years. And, um, in the, the instances where I would apply like a, a stain after I never had any, any blotchy spots or anything yeah. like that. That's. Um, it tends to work out pretty well. You just again when you when you're doing the toothbrush, you have to be really careful to not make sure that water is not seeping into the joint. You want to mm-hmm. have it, you know, have the piece kind of um, laid out so that <clears throat> any water that does kind of run off, it goes down away from the the joint. I think the biggest mistake that I see people make they're just putting too much glue, so it makes the cleanup yeah. just this massive mess. On mine, it's. I won't even have glue squeeze out really. It'll be so minimal the entire length, but I'd much rather have the squeeze out on the exterior portion than the interior portion of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's why, um, for panels, pre-finishing, 
um, makes clean cleanup so much easier. Because even if even if there's a, a little spot that does dry, like you can lightly take a chisel and it just flakes off. Yeah. So pre-finish when you can, wet rag it, or like Jason, use the exact perfect measured amount. Absolutely required. One hundred percent. So uh, just do it right, Mike. <laughs> I'm actually going to get to see him on Friday. Oh, at JLE? JLC, yeah. JLC, yeah. That's it. I'm going to do a patron one. It's from Lincoln Woodworks, local guy. When using Festool sanders with Festool dust extractors, what are the best suction and speed settings? So that's easy for me. Um, most sanders, and I'll come back to that, I always turn it down to the lowest possible setting, and I never change the speed of my sander unless I am f- uh, f- sanding a finish. Yes. Then I will turn it down low, which almost never happens in my shop. Um, or because you because you do Rubio, right? Right. Or today, like if I was sanding a clear coat, I would turn it way way back just because I wouldn't want to yeah, burn yeah, through yeah. the finish too quick. Yeah. Um, That's what I figured. And sorry, Siri. Stupid Siri. Go back to your hole. Um, <laughs> Although today I was using uh, some of the Orca abrasives, hashtag not sponsored. Um, a, a while back they sent me some of their like white non-abrasive pads that you can put on like a Rotex or a sander. I've mm-hmm. never buffed in Rubio like that. I've always done it with a little bit of elbow grease. And first of all, let me tell you, way better. <laughs> um but on that, yesterday I had it turned up to like a, f- I actually did turn it down a little bit because I was like, man, I don't need this to be super aggressive because I'm comparing it to me like rubbing it, you know, by hand. Mm-hmm. By hand, yeah. And so I had it on like a four. And the problem I was running into is when I was doing, I did the bottom first, flipped it over, put it on painter's triangles, did the top. Well, when it's on the painter's triangles, it, it moves easily. So it would start to shake and then it would like grab the head and it would just be bouncing all over the place. So I'm like, okay. This isn't going to work. So today, the top that I did, I turned it down to one. First time I've ever done that on a Rotex. Worked way better. Um, now, going back to what I was saying about the the suction. So the greatest thing about variable speed dust extractors or variable suction dust extractors is that they're made that way for a reason, right? The higher you have it, the more pressure it's going to put on the sander pulling in the wood. Well, everybody knows that you want the sander to do the work. So you just let it float. Well, when you have it turned up all the way, it's actually pulling that down into the finish. So it's like you're applying pressure. Not a lot of pressure, but it's like you're applying more pressure than you need to. It, it's enough to, to make swirl marks yeah. if you do that. It's going to it's going to weigh your paper out faster. Um, it's, going to, it's going to not give you as good of a finish. So I always turn it all the way down, except when I'm using my ETS EC150. <clears throat> I don't know what it is about that sander, but when I have it all the way down, like there's dust. Um, really? I don't know if it's because it's the six inch pad, but oh, yeah. I'm not happy with. Because I have the five inch and that, that never happens. Not at all. Never. So for the six, I'll actually turn it to, I would say one third. And that seems even to be if, the trick. Even if you're using the, the, the Cubitron. That's even worse mm-hmm. with that. Really? Mm-hmm. See, I, I use the, uh, I use the Festool mesh. And even if even when I turn the sander down and the and the vacuum uh, the suction down, there's there's never any any dust. There may be like like really really fine dust that's um, 
that I, I have to like wipe away with a damp cloth, but I can, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about, but it's, it's evident, right? So I can take my ETS 125 or my Rotex and I can sand it on the lowest setting and I can take my hand over it when I'm done and wipe it over. And you might see a little bit, maybe if I do that with my ETS EC, um, on the lowest setting and I wipe my hand over it, you'll see it on your hand. Oh yeah. That happens to me too. So for what I found is that I like to turn the suction up just a little bit more in it and it fixes the problem. So about a third, everything else I'm all the way down. I may, I may have to do that next time I, I stand, but, um, yeah, I, I don't, I have nothing to add. That's pretty much what I do, man. We are flying through these questions tonight. This is fantastic. Um, let me see. I think this is good. At what point do you think it's necessary to register as a DBA or an LLC? I think it's once you start to earn an income from whatever it is that you're doing. Um, most, yeah, that, that's what I'm going to say. I don't want to sit here and give, give advice about stuff um, because I'm not a, a legal counsel or, or legal expert. But I would say that if you're, if you're doing something, if you are operating as a business, and you are earning an income, and you have expenses, then then it's it's time to register as an LLC. It's cheap. It costs a hundred bucks. You can do it yourself on the um, federal website. Just go and knock it out. It's very easy. Um, I will gladly give advice because I am a legal expert, Ben. Um, no, Ed, that's a really good question, and I'm not uh, an expert. However, what I, will, I don't know a lot about DBA versus LLC. I can tell you a lot about an LLC, specifically a single-member LLC. DBA, from my understanding, an LLC, there's different tax benefits and expense benefits to one over the other. I agree with Ben. The reason I started my LLC was because I was starting to earn enough revenue that could, in the event of an audit, raise the eyebrows of the IRS. So I wanted to legitimize everything. Um, and not just because you form a business does not mean that like all of a sudden you're legitimate. You still have to keep track of your records and all that stuff. But there are different benefits to an LLC and different uh, business entities versus a DBA. Um, so as soon as you start making enough money, absolutely 100%, you should do it because there's tons of benefits that you're going to get from it. You're going to get way more tax write-offs as an LLC <clears throat> and depending on what kind of structure you have. So I'm a single member LLC and I'm automatically labeled as a disregarded entity and a disregarded entity is basically a sole proprietorship. So the way that I'm taxed is different from somebody who is say like an S corp, right? And we're not going to get into the weeds with all of that. But the, the big thing I want to point out is that as a single member LLC, any income that you earn is just additional income to your overall household income for the year. So the best way to illustrate that is if I made a hundred thousand dollars from the army and my wife's job and Ben's woodworking made a profit of $30,000, my overall income for the year, taxable income should have been $130,000 and I should have paid taxes for that. Um, where it can work to your advantage in the early years and why it is very beneficial for you to start a business, one reason, 
is in the early years, I was a complete loss on my business. And the only reason that helped me is because I was a complete loss and I was able to, if I was a $10,000 loss, if you took that same scenario where I made $100,000 between my wife and I, then I only was, should have been taxed for $90,000, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting really, really good returns back those first two years. Um, and I was able to put all of that money back into my business and write all of that off. So um, it kind of works to your advantage. You can't do that if you're just a hobbyist, right? You can't. So you're not going to get the same benefits that you would if you were doing a business. So it is beneficial. It's kind of a... Yes. Very. It, it, it's no... It's not difficult to maintain, you know, there's yeah. going to be state requirements every year, every two I, years, federal requirements. I will say this. If, if you do go down that route, immediately get yourself a separate bank account and run everything through that. That makes everything accounting much, much easier if you have it under a separate account. Yeah. All and, your expenses and all your income is under that, that one account. And once you do that, every year you do taxes, you should be hiring a CPA unless you're a tax expert. That is the best investment that you can make if you are running a business because this year was a huge, huge eye-opener for me when it came to taxes. Um, And I've had the same CPA since I started my business and he is still in Georgia and I am in Indiana and I will continue to use him because he understands my business and he's seen it grow and he knows the types of deals and stuff that I do, but he knows way more about any of this than I do. And if if you get into the social media game, that's a whole nother conversation because now you got 1099s from, you know, five different companies and affiliate marketing revenue and all these other things. And you just have to like give all of that stuff to somebody and say, Hey, figure this out for me and let me know if I want to hurt myself or if I'm going to be happy at the end of the year. Yeah. Or if I need to hurry up and go buy a truck or something. Yeah. Oh, we should talk about that one out of the podcast. I told you I'm an tax expert. <laughs> Dude, no joke though. Uh, I, I talked about him before my, my recommendation, Carlton Dennis, uh, tax strategist mm-hmm. out of California, man, yeah. I'll, I have learned so much in the past six months to a year, just watching his, uh, Instagram and YouTube videos. It's, it's mm-hmm. crazy, crazy informative. So, yeah. And Definitely he is a, ever. an expert. Um, yeah, you did the last one, right? Yes, I did. All right, let's do. Um, let's do this one. This is an Instagram one because we answered all the individual people on Patreon. Then we'll just pick and choose. But this is from at John Henry Thomas on Instagram. John Henry Thomas. I don't own a jointer slash planer, but I have a track saw and a table saw. Can I work with S2S wood? Okay. If you were to say I don't own a joiner, my answer would be yes. Um, you kind of need a planer. And if you need, if you were going to order a joiner or planer first, I would tell you to get a planer and I would spend the three to $500 and get a benchtop planer. If you're working with S2S Woods, that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect when you use it, just to be clear. Um, but you'll have two nice reference services. But the reason why I say the planer over the jointer is because if you have a track saw and a table saw, you can joint all your boards. The only thing you can't do is you can't face joint. Yeah. So since you have one clean surface, you can plane it. So um, 
that doesn't mean that it's going to be perfectly flat when it comes out because if you put a board in there that's you know slightly twisted it's going to come out slightly twisted it's just all going to be the same thickness yeah um but if i'm being honest i a matter of fact i have a youtube video planned for this it'll probably be it'll likely be my next youtube video where i'm talking about um jointing long boards on with a track saw over a jointer um and what the benefits to that are. So I would say yes, 100%, but you need to invest a little bit of money and get a planer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't owned a table saw in, in five years, I think it is now. Um, and I don't have a joiner. I have a thickness planer. I have the DeWalt 735, which is, I think it's a really great planer. Um, and I have a track saw with a long enough guide rail. So now are there times where I wish I had a joiner? Well, yeah, it would make things easier. I just have to do a, um, I'd skip plane my rough lumber. So it, it does take a while, but I'm able to do it. Yeah. And also don't have to worry about, you know, but if, if I had to, to get a joiner, um, a, a decent one, now I have to get dust extraction or dust collection now I need 220 like it just there are other things that now I need to get that I that I don't want to have to get so yeah I gotta ask Definitely you something before we move on to the next question mm -hmm. you just made the comment saying that you haven't owned a table saw in five years and I want you to answer this honestly and not like a holy roller festival system all this stuff I don't need it I want to be a minimalist do you wish you had a table saw would it make your life much easier? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes it would. I, I don't, um, you know, there's never a problem with capability mm -hmm. of, of doing anything in my shop. Um, would it be quicker? Of course it would. Of course it would be quicker. But I, I like, if, if I really needed one, I would, I would have one by this point. But... If for for what for what I do, um, I just don't need one at the moment. For your of all the big tools that you don't have, what would be the one thing? Like, what would be the next thing that would make the biggest impact for you right now? What would it be? Would it be the table saw? Probably. Okay. Because I'm because I'm I'm still doing a lot of sheet goods. Actually, that's pretty much all that I do are sheet goods. Um, so I, I don't, I have zero use for a joiner at the moment. Um, but yeah. I was just always curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. But the only I mean, table saw I, you're going to buy is a CS 70, right? Yeah. Which obviously it's never going to come here. I just had this conversation with my, with my uh, professor today. Um, cause he, he does woodworking. He saw, uh, I, I was wearing one of my festival jackets a couple weeks ago. You weren't wearing a like, hey, Ben's woodworking hoodie? Well, I was, but it was like, who, who is that? Oh. I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably should never wear this again. Yeah. He's Nobody a loser. He's probably he's probably sub a subscriber. Um, no big deal. He was, he was like, hey, you're, you're really in a, in a festival. Does festival make any table saws? I'm like, yeah, actually, they make three of them, but none of them are available here. So I thought you were working a deal with he, your um, he, army friend. No, she she's in Italy right now. And um, 
she's about to retire, but she's going to work in the UK. So oh. it's a moot point at this junction. But because um, he was looking for recommendations. And so I told him either he was looking at a saw stop, a three horsepower. And I was like, well, that's a really good table saw. And I said, you need to look up Harvey as well. Because a lot of my buddies are, they like the Harvey. So, but yeah, at this point, it would just be, it would just make things quicker. And that's pretty much it. And I'm, I'm not I'm gonna, woodworking I'm every single one for day. Christmas. So it's, oh, thanks, buddy. You, you would probably make do with just a, like a contractor setup. As, as long as, okay. I know we're getting if it's off not going to get me. No, I know, but it's it's still related to this. I think. Yeah. If it's not going to get me as good as a cut as my track saw, I don't want it. A contractor saw doesn't mean it's going to give you crappy cuts. No, I'm just saying. Yeah. I've I had I had a contractor saw before, um, and my track saw made infinitely better cuts on it than than the table saw did. So. Again, it's it's got to give me really great cuts. And if it doesn't, then I don't want it. And when I say great, I mean the quality of the cut, the cleanness of it, the accuracy of it, all those things. I do a saw stop contractor saw with a really, really good blade in it. I bet. Talking about like the, the, like the $1,600 saw stop mm-hmm. one? Yeah. Sorry. Maybe. I don't know. It, it may be in the cards, but again, like I – when I, because the, the only thing that I'm making are my stools, and I batch make them all at one time. Um, I, I get one sheet of plywood, I make all of them in in a couple days, and that I'm good for a couple months at that point. So yeah, I'm I'm really not making too many things daily to to warrant the need for a table saw, and I don't think I ever will either. So. Yeah, but I mean, you can warrant the need to buy thirty-seven three D printers. Um, I th- believe you're up, Ben. <laughs> um, okay, let's go back to the patron questions. Um, Ed asks again: uh, jigs like miter sleds and such, do you make buy and why? Uh, I will make them if it's not available, and if there is an option that's available, and it's like a manufactured thing, it's it's a uh, high quality and it's going to work as soon as I pull it out of the box, then yes, I will buy it because I value my time more than, than anything else. But if, if nothing exists for it, then obviously I'm going to have to make it. Uh, easy for me. If it's something that I'm going to use one off, I'll make it. If it's something I'm going to use a lot, I'll buy it. So Mm -hmm. box joint jig, tapering jig, uh, things like that. I'm going to buy, uh, Today I needed a two and a half inch hole jig to drill out the uh, cable management holes. I just cut it on the CNC literally, literally in a th- uh, ten seconds. It's crazy. Yeah. I like went into the software, made a circle, put it in the center, cut it, and it was like, we yeah. done. Yeah. That's why I like having the shaper. Yeah, there's a lot of jigs and templates that I don't have to worry about buying now. I mean, it's I almost it in a couple of minutes. Grant, I know everybody doesn't have a, a a shaper or a CNC machine, but again, that's just like a perfect example of it's like I don't need to try to figure out a way to do this when I can just put it on this machine real quick and cut it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but you could do the same thing if you had a two and a half inch Forstner bit and you know if you wanted to route it to have really clean edges you could just drill it into a piece of scrap wood but for for one-offs yes i i, I would make it but i'd buy it you know that nine like, times out of ten and I, i've said it before but when i buy stuff i want the quickest route from the time i open this thing or the time that i receive this to the time i'm able to use it and so the thought of and, and like I, I completely understand, especially if you're in the very beginning of woodworking. I used to make all my own jigs. I used to make all my own miter sled sl uh, um, sleds, all that other stuff for my table saw. I, I, I was there. I've done it before. And I will tell you that the amount of time that I spent trying to tune things up and, and fine tune things and like after a while, it just kind of gets annoying. And so, you know, I would think that I just spent two to three hours trying to trying to dial this thing in when the three hours I could have spent making something that actually makes me money. You know, like the, the thing that immediately comes to my head is the, um, the anchor miter sled. Um, what, like what is like the anchor sled HD or something like that. The sled miter 5,000. Yeah, that, well, there's like different variations of it. You can buy just the miter, um, the miter gauge itself, mm -hmm. you can buy the miter gauge and the sled like there's, but w once I bought that miter sled or that miter gauge with like, it's like one millimeter increments that you can adjust and it's super accurate and super quick. And like, once I bought that, like I didn't have to worry about building a miter sled anymore because I knew that it right out of the box. I mean, I think there may have been a little bit of a, uh, a zeroing period, but if, if I remember correctly, I didn't have to do that at all. It was good out of the box, right. but whatever's going to save me time, that's what I'm going to do. So sometimes that is building my own stuff, but more times than not, it's buying it. And now I don't ever have to worry about it ever again. Yeah. It's funny. The sled's a really good example. Like I bought the Mitre 5000, I don't know, couple years ago now i think it was like 350 bucks i'll never ever ever need another sled that, that sled has so much yeah. more capability and it's so much more easy to use and to square up than any other thing that i could ever make um it's way more solid i spent 350 bucks it's done it's over i never have to worry about it again i'm not going to make five different variations because i'm not totally happy with the way the first one is. you know what i mean it's just yeah. Something like that, 100% I'll buy all day long. Yeah. Um, all right, my question. We are banging through these questions, Ben. Yeah, it's probably the most questions we've ever gone through. This is this is great. and I'm Consider yourself lucky, listener. Yeah. Well, can we only have two people answering instead of three? Um, what are you trying to say? Well, I do, I'm not going to lie. I, You're saying that Sedge takes too long to answer his question? No, I'm just saying that every question, when we have three people answer it, Oh, yeah. It takes longer. Um, yeah. I miss him, though. I miss him. It's just not the same without him. It isn't. That's right. He'll listen to this, and he'll probably laugh, and then and then be sad. We love you, Sedge. Um, all right, so this is from Makes on Instagram. For Euro hinges and drawer slides, I actually wanted to answer this last time. Do you use... Five millimeter Euro screws or number six? 
uh, 100% every chance I can use Euro screws, I'm using Euro screws because I like to use the LR32 system and the five millimeter holes that it drills is perfect for that. Uh, I mean, it's that's what it's for. It's not for number six screws. I think they hold better. I think they're easier to use. Um, on drawer slides, 100% yes, I'm using those, especially on Bloom undermount drawer slides. All the holes are, are drilled for those. Um, hinges, though, you have to be careful. So not all hinges are going to come with five uh, millimeter mounting screws. They're going to come with uh, for number six. But if I'm using LR32, I can't use the number six. I got to use a five millimeter. So something that I've actually done in the past, uh, in the past, excuse me, is the hinge mounting plates. I've actually drilled them out to be five millimeters. Um, the way you get around that is if you have to buy the inserta ones. So if you're using five millimeter hole pattern, you need to buy the Bloom inserta hinges if you don't want to drill them out, because those have a number six screw into it with a. Uh, a little plug on the backhand side that is five millimeters and that is designed for the five, five millimeter holes. Um, but if you don't have like, that's, that's where I ran into the issue. I wanted to buy the inserted hinges and I could not find them in stock. The only ones I could find in stock were the regular. I just brought them home. I took a five millimeter drill bit and I drilled those holes out and I mounted them. Um, and it worked just fine. So if I can use Euro yeah. screws, I'm using Euro screws. Yeah. I, I recently started using them. Uh, a couple months ago, whenever I started building my uh, my cis benches, and the same thing using the the thirty two millimeter offset, um, and it's like they're they're it's great, especially uh, how easy it is to install if you're using that system. Five millimeter hole with with the the euro screws. They're they're they really are great screws. They hold really well. They bite really well. If you have to you know, remove the, the hinges in and out a couple times or it goes right back in and yeah, they're great. I've stripped the number six screws multiple times, uh, drilling them in. I don't think I've ever done it with a five millimeter Euro screw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Me either. Me either. They just have a much wider, uh, thread pattern. Yeah. Is it, it's you um, next, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so this is from uh, Ed Mancini, and he says, what are tips for reaching out to companies for sponsorship? Um, I, I would say the first tip is just to know know what you're worth, meaning like um, know what, you, what value you can bring to both the audience and the company that you're trying to um, reach out to. Uh, I would say that if you're at that point where you wanted to start doing it, to just – start um start reaching out to, to different companies um because you you don't necessarily know what it is that they value in someone that that they're they're trying to to um leverage uh an audience from you know and it doesn't matter if, if you have a hundred subscribers or a million subscribers um if if those 100 subscribers um eat everything that you put in front of them, then those are the kind of people that uh, these companies are, are willing to work with because you have a hundred people that are just so supportive of the content that you put out. So don't, don't think that you don't hold value or that you're not valuable because of your audience size, because it's, it's about the quality of the audience, uh, not the quantity necessarily. Um, I, 
recently now this isn't for a sponsorship this is for like um getting items uh getting products in uh the shop lights that i have right now they they send them to me free uh, now they're like really cheap lights but they work great um but had i not even like reached out to them before i even was going to buy them because i was going to buy them i was like oh well let's see if i can get these for free before i before i purchase them um I, I but but I knew that 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 was something uh, that lighting is something that my audience would value my opinion on it, and so that's why I reached out to that particular company because again, a already knew that I was going to try their la- their lights out to begin with, and then because again, it's something that I felt like that my audience would value hearing my opinion on. Um, when it comes to sponsorships, I'm not well versed in that that's not something that i've done yet i will be doing it soon for uh for this podcast it's just um trying to pick a sponsorship that fits right with the three of us um and there's you know there's there's a couple well i'm I'm not going to get into that's not going to answer this question jason what would you say about that uh i think the biggest metric when it comes to sponsorships is uh ben mentioned it doesn't necessarily matter the size of your audience, and he's right um, in most cases. What is a huge metric is views. So whether you're on YouTube or Instagram, and I think that's what most people look at because the more views that your stuff gets on average, the more people it's going to reach, and that's how marketing people are looking at it, right? What's the what's the best bang for the buck? Um, so to caveat off of something that Ben said, if you have 5,000 subscribers on YouTube, but you're getting you know five to 10,000 views on all your videos, and you're very niche down and doing something on a specific brand, that's a really good audience, and that's a, that's a channel that companies may be interested in, if that makes sense. So um, you have to be able to show, and Ben mentioned this, you have to be able to show the company how you can provide value for them. It's not just a game of, hey, guys, really love your stuff. Would love to know what I could do to help you guys out. Send me some stuff and I'll make some posts about it. That means nothing. There are companies that you're going to find out there, specifically the ones that are getting into social media marketing that are interested in that kind of thing. But for the most part, any of the companies that are really worth working with, um, that's not going to be their stance, right? So... You have to, it has to be more than you just wanting free stuff, right? You have to prove how you can be a value. And early on, you know, your life probably will be just getting free tools, you know? And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there was a time where I would have, <clears throat> I would have loved to have just gotten free tools. Oh, uh, I, I remember the first time you got a free tool. What was it? And you, it was, you got some Bessie clamps and you like, you were so excited that you got some free clamps. And they were yeah. like the little F-style clamps. Yeah. Like you're like, dude, dude, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I'm an influencer, guys. Check out these <laughs> $10 clamps I got. Um, I mean, th- there was a time where that, like, that would have been great, right? And now, I- unless it's something that I want or need for something, I don't, I have zero desire in, in getting free tools, right? That's just kind of part of the deal with sponsorships now. Cause you'll get to a point where 
it's not even a conversation of, you know, free tool versus this. No, it's like, oh, you want me to do this? This is my price. The, the tool doesn't even come into conversation. It's like, no, yeah, like the tool, obviously you need to send it to me if you want me to create content on it, right? Um, and, and let's just be frank, like depending on the cost of the tool, for a company to, to give you a free tool, that is more cost beneficial for them than it is for you. Oh, for sure. You know, the company always like they, wins. Always, they they are getting the better end of the deal. Yeah, um, and e- even with with paid sponsorships, at, in the end, depending on what the the nature of the of the deal and the nature of the content, the company is getting out better than you are, unless it's just like a complete wash and you're you're taking advantage of them. One hundred. I I say I don't even I, I don't even know if that you could make an argument for like a time where the the influencer I hate as much as I hate that term is making out you're just better no you're not because you're just you're just being compensated for the amount of time that it's going to take you to make that content yeah i think the only i think the only argument is like let's say you let's say for some reason you reached out to a company like saw stop let's just use saw stop right reach out to a company like saw stop you have no youtube channel and you have a meager following on instagram and for some reason meager meaning what uh a thousand subscribers or a thousand followers. And that's not to disparage anybody with, with with very little engagement, with very little engagement, thousand uh, followers. Your page is, you know, kind of all over the place, whatever. Right. But for some reason, and I'm using sauce up just because it's a brand that everybody knows this would never happen just to be clear. But let's say you did that and they're like, Hey, well, we're going to send you a table saw and we want you to post some stuff on Instagram that's probably an opportunity or an, a time where the person would probably make out better because they got a free, you know, $3,500 saw. They probably would reach nobody, maybe one sold, maybe somebody bought one from that as opposed to, you know, somebody with, has a really large audience. Let's say I posted a video about that saw stop or some new company that's out, right? New company, you know, mega saw or whatever, right? And they're like, <laughs> We want to <laughs> mega saw, mega saw. Mega saw. Um, we want to give you one of these table saws. We'd like you to do a video about it, use it for X amount of time, share your thoughts, whatever. Well, let's say I do that. There's a very big chance that that is going to lead to a lot more sales. That's not to be cocky or big headed. That's just a fact. It's going to lead to a lot more sales. They're going to get all excited. They're going to be happy. Well, guess what? That YouTube video lives forever unless... You delete it. Unless I delete it. And here's the repercussions on if I delete it. Yes, I'm going to continue to make ad revenue off of that, but there's going to come a point in time, sometimes very, very quickly, where that ad revenue is so insignificant it doesn't even matter, right? I, I release videos all the time. They might start off okay, and then they just flatline. It's going to be like that forever unless something crazy happens in the algorithm and that video starts getting served up to more people. Therefore, I'm never going to earn any money off of that video again. But the people that do watch that are looking for that, and that might be the deal breaker and whether or not they purchase that tool. So forever, that company is going to continue to get sales based on them giving me a free table saw, maybe even paying me a few thousand dollars. But they're going to make thousands and thousands of dollars for as long as that video is on YouTube. The potential to make thousands of dollars. It's evergreen. Yeah. Instagram's not that way. You post about it two days later, it's gone. It never existed. Yeah. 
it's especially non-searchable. So again, this this goes back to my to my main point is just knowing knowing what value uh, you bring to the table, especially with um, that the quality of the audience that you have. Um, and, and really, when you're thinking about sponsorships, you need to be thinking about you think of yourself as the bridge between your audience and the company. Like the audience is the value, not you. And, and so if you can kind of remove yourself from that situation, I think that it will help you gauge the actual worth and that may change how you approach companies um, and how you are able to, to pitch to them and stuff like that. Let me, let me just add one quick thing because I kind of got off track. So understand that in the beginning, early on, you might get some free tools and that's where it's going to stop unless you get lucky, but that is where it's going to stop. Um, However, keep track of anything that you do for that company that's in a beneficial way to that company. And then once you start getting in an affiliate deals, you'll be able to have that data. And that's the kind of stuff that you can show companies later on. Hey, I worked with X brand and I generated X thousands of dollars of revenue for them in this time period. This is what I can do for your company. And that speaks volume. So having the data, that's another way that you can show a company how you can be beneficial for them. Come, come up with ways to track metrics. Um, like you can use a bit.ly on your, um, if you, if you make YouTube videos, use a bit.ly link, which tracks the number of times that people use that specific link to go to a specific website. Like if you have any affiliate sales or anything like that. So, yeah. Use metrics to your advantage and don't fluff your metrics, but think about how you can leverage that information to entice other companies. That was your question, right? Correct. Uh, I think this is a quick, easy one. This is from Instagram at Barrio Woodworks. We talk quite often. Great dude. He says, guys and Hans, do you foresee another tool company coming into the tool scene like Festool? Let's just get one thing straight, Mr. Barrio. Okay, there was no other <laughs> tool company out there that is like Fesh Tool. So wherever you are at this current moment, whether you're driving your cars or you're in your shops, you're in your work, I want you to really cons- reconsider your life choices at this point when you send in silly questions like this, sir. Yeah. <laughs> there was no other Fesh Tool. Fesh tool. I love how you say that. Fesh tool. Um, my simple answer is no. Not anytime soon. No. There's other companies out there that make a lot of other tools, but the, there's one company that is Festool, and that's Festool. Um, yeah. Look at so Festool is owned by a, a a conglomerate company called TTS, and. With with most big companies, if there is uh, a product out there that is revolutionary, that is really great, there's a high probability that that company is going to get bought out by one of these big conglomerates. So you're never going to see these companies that could be a potential competitor for Festool or Mafel or um, Lamello because they, they've already been bought up or the product has already been bought up. So it's not going to happen anytime soon yeah. that I'm aware of. I, I don't, I just, I, I can't imagine. Yeah. 
And festival's nothing new. It's been around for years, you know. Hundreds. It's been around for over a century. Yeah. Festival got started in 1903. Um, But uh, it would take a lot of money, a huge backing for another company to to come up. Um, Not to necessarily compete, but to be as big and and as... um, Desired and sought after. Yeah, as festival. If there was one, you'd already know about it. Yeah. And some people would argue, they'd be like, well, I'm not interested in festival at all. I like Milwaukee or I like DeWalt or I like whatever. They're, they're just not comparable. They're not the same. No. So a company like you festival, know, like, no, it's, it's unlikely. Festival's not trying to make lawnmowers, you know, festival is a very focused. God, I wish they did though. I totally buy it. <laughs> I bought an ego they just because very... they have lime green. Okay. Oh my God. They're a very focused brand. You look at Ryobi's, you know, they're, they're, even though they're tool companies, when you look at their websites, they all feel completely different. They are all, they, like they're targeting completely different sectors of the market. Um, there, I mean, there are a few that that are very that are similar that probably have a lot of over, overlap for who their target consumer is. But go look at their websites and just just look at it. Look at the imagery, and you can see that they're just they're completely different. They're targeting different sectors of the market. Faux show. Do you want to each? Do you want to each do one more? Yeah, let's do one more. Um, so, audience, give me one second because I want to make sure that I pick one that I feel like you guys would would enjoy. These are all. They're all like uh, kind of social media esque. The ones that are left. Um. <sighs> Ed's question about I, okay this the journey. Um, it's okay. It can be a social a media one. one. I mean, it's fine. I, I don't. So, I don't okay, ever so want let's, that to stop so, us. Yeah. So you do that one, and I, I'm gonna do this one. If you had to put max effort in a social media or a website, which and why? So I want to quantify this. Uh, I would put effort into a website first right before social media and the only reason why i say that and and again this really depends on who your audience is who you're trying to target and where they are if the majority of your audience you think uh is on social media then you need to go to social media and do it there if you feel like that your audience could potentially come to a website first then go to the website i'm going to say a website first because it is 100% under your control. You control everything that happens to that website. There's no one unless, with the exception of the hosting platform like Squarespace or Wix or um, any of the other website hosting platforms that are out there, um, I own the domain name for my website. I own it. If Squarespace, Squarespace disappears tomorrow, you know, and, and all of my, my website hosting goes away, that's fine. I still own the domain. It's still registered under my name. So if, if you're going to go into one initially, get a website first. Have that as like your hub, your, your central landing point for, for everyone to go to. Once you have your website up and running, and again, this depends on whatever it is that you're trying to do. You know, that there are plenty of influencers that ha- don't even have a website. There are plenty of people that have a website that are not even on social media. They're, they're two very different things. And so it's, you really have to nail down what it is that you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. 
but for the work that the three of us do, we all do very similar things. We all have uh, similar paths that we're trying to go down. I would have a website first. I would do as much as I could on that website. And then I would go to, to social media because now, now you have somewhere to direct people to. Like go to my website, buy my plans. Go to my website, get this. Go to my website, get that. Whereas with social media, like like if Instagram, you know, it's hard for people to find you on Instagram. There's nothing that's searchable on it. YouTube's a little bit different, but I would go to the website first, max it out first, and then try to get an audience to come to it. Yeah. What about you, Jason? I probably would have said something different, but the way you explain that, I kind of agree with it because the website you own, social media you don't. Mm-hmm. And that's with all social media. If 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 YouTube wanted to change the way that they work their algorithm tomorrow, everyone that's been making content on how to maximize the algorithm, now all their stuff's wrong. Yeah. You know, a website, you control it. You dictate what happens. Now, it's hard to get people to go there. You know, as soon as you like I I really wonder how many websites there are now, 30 years after the the birth of the internet. But um, but again, it's it's something that you can control, and this is something that Jason and I have discussed over the last couple of years, of really trying to refine to get people to go to a website, uh, because you do control it, you know. Uh, YouTube hosts our videos, but we own the videos. If YouTube goes away tomorrow, we can upload all of our stuff to YouTube, all of it, because we own the content. Yeah. So the funny thing is I feel like a website is that's how people, that's an easier way to people for people to find you versus social media. If you have content on your website, if you have searchable content on your website. But the great side about social media is that social media is easy for people who don't want to go searching on a website. They just want to have quick instant access Mm -hmm. to a bunch of different people. Um, it just depends. Yeah, it depends on what your business is. But if you, yeah. you might as well at least at least secure your domain name early on. Yeah. Because when it is, yeah, I promise you. And it's if you're it's twenty bucks a year to do that. If you're, it's so. even less than that on some. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're deciding to go down this path, I assure you, your eyes are going to be opened up to a lot of things that you didn't even know were possible, and all of those are going to be perfect things for and, a website. It's not just YouTube. And ways, to, and ways to earn money that you didn't think yes, was possible. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who would have thought that Jason could sell nude pictures of himself on the internet? A lot of people have weird fetishes. <laughs> All right. What's your question, Jason? This is the last one, ladies and gentlemen. And then we're going to get into some really good comments. Um, oh, man. <laughs> You know, we haven't mentioned a certain somebody on this podcast today, and I feel like if I did take this question, we could rag on him a little bit. It's the last patron question. Yeah, no, I'm looking at it. (laughs) What do you think? I don't know if I really have a good answer for the other one. No, I I think we've already answered it too, so let's just pick that one. All right. (laughs) This one says... Tanker or Marine and why? That's from Ed. 
Oh man. So the 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 easy answer is neither. Yeah. Neither. I mean, they're both basically the same. <laughs> one likes crayons and one writes with uh uh their own fecal matter on the walls. Yeah, so, so oh, I can be a a fat lazy slob that rides around in a tank and eats M&Ms in the turret all day or that never gets off. I can just be, you know, somebody that likes to eat crayons, you know, <laughs> like Patrick from Leather by Dragonfly. <laughs> no, neither. That's oh my, my answer. God. That's Ben's answer. Yeah. That's how we're going to end this crap. That's right. Thanks for your silly question, Ed. Well, look, before we get into the next segment, we just wanted to thank uh, everyone that has submitted their questions, comments, concerns, complaints, and ideas to the podcast if we're, or were it not for the, the community at large, we would not be doing what we're doing now. So we just want to thank you guys so much for all that you do for the community, all the, the value that you guys give into this, this really awesome woodworking community that we've um, found ourselves in. And we appreciate it. And we look forward to doing the next community episode. Jason. Faux show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Do we need to get our buddy? We do. Our third. Please tell me you're going to wear your uh, lederhosen tonight. No. I don't. It doesn't really matter, Jason, because nobody can see me right now. Not it's right like now. Here. But they could see your Instagram clips. I was just they hoping that only... you had the lederhosen on under that jacket. <laughs> you were just, just going to stand it up and break it open. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. What has officially become the favorite segments of all of our listeners for all times is the Get Bent segment. If you've never heard of this segment before, what we do is we go to all of our various YouTube channels and videos and Instagrams and we pick the most hatred-infused comments from these random peoples on the earth and we take that contemptuous content and we turn it into content. So, without further ado, Jason, who is has been the world hatred champion on this podcast since its very beginnings, has got some hatred comments that he wants to share with all of us. Got some good ones, Hans. So, if you're driving your car, or you're at work or whatever, stop right now, pull over the car, pull out your favorite uh, flavor of my 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 famous pan, panzer brats and you can begin putting them in your mouth while you listen yeah. and you can let the let this the flavors explode in your mouth <laughs> but you make sure you swallow it though okay <laughs> you don't want to spit out that flavors Jesus. wow <laughs> podcast is really taking a turn for the worst. How is this everybody's favorite segment? I don't understand. <laughs> okay. J- Jason, everyone now has the flavors in their mouth. So they're chewing, they're enjoying the bratwurst, the, my, my pens are brats. Do you share with us the hatred you have? Do you have any negative comments tonight? I don't. Okay. I have four. Ooh, Fia. Yeah, Fia. Um, okay, so the first one is from How to Install Life Proof Vinyl Flooring. This person says, 
You talk too much before you do anything. <laughs> Thanks for the view. Um, I made like three cents off that person. <laughs> they don't even know. You just you just they bought me know. a new car. Um, I need every penny I can get to help pay for this new fence. <laughs> um, all right. This next one is from the Craig Foreman Electric Pocket Hole Machine. <laughs> this person says, someone needs to learn to properly record volume. Thumbs down. <laughs> it was pretty what? bad on my old videos. Is that, is that from the, the contract? What is it called? The contractor? What's it called? The, the foreman. Craig Foreman. Yeah. Yeah. All my old videos, like the audio is so bad. It's like an <laughs> echoey room and I'm like 10 feet away from the camera. Sometimes, sometimes I really want you to bring back the one minute dubstep intro. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. So funny how like everything changes on a YouTube channel once you realize how big oh of an idiot God. you were being. Yeah. But you need to do those things because you learn. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's all it's all a part of the journey, man. Yep. All right, hold on, I need to drink some beer before this one. There's there's always the next upload. All right. Actually I'm gonna read this one and I'll read a new one, a recent one that came in. All right, this is from How to Install Bloom Undermount Drawer Slides. I find this so funny. So with these undermount drawer slides, I lose 42 millimeters from the width. With the regular lateral slides, it's only 25 millimeters. The aim of the undermount drawer slides is to allow for heavy load, and more importantly, to save width. This slide doesn't do that. So I would stick with the classic ball bearing lateral slides, dot, dot, dot. So Did he watch the video? This No, what he's complaining about is, okay, so when you're using... You, you, you gain width when you go from extension drawer slides to undermount. No. You, you can make Incorrect. Your, it's the opposite. You lose width of the drawer box by going using undermount slides. Barely. It's it's minuscule. Here here's why, right? So you what it, the width of your drawer box is mm -hmm. forty two millimeters less than the opening of the drawer. That's how that's how wide you have to build the drawer box. Really? Yes. I thought it was the opposite. No. I thought you gained width. No. The so think about that. How one inch is what? Roughly 25, 25.4, but 25 millimeters, we'll just say. Yeah, so his yeah. argument is if you use standard side mount drawer slides, in almost all cases, they're a half inch thick each one. Yeah. So 20-inch yeah. opening, I have a 19-inch drawer. Well, if I had a 20-inch yeah. opening, I would have like an 18 and, you know, 9 to 30 seconds drawer, <laughs> whatever the case is, with undermount. So, so the, so, uh, with undermount, the only benefit, or not only, but the, the major benefit is you're – you no longer see hardware Correct. or you don't see it as much. And then obviously you have like soft close and like smooth open and all stuff. And their stuff. adjustability. Well, I mean, you can get soft close and smooth opening on other high. Yeah. 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 But, but, but the that's adjust pretty standard though with undermount. Yeah. The adjustability on undermount drawer slides though is far superior to any other drawer slides out there. Period. In, in application or in, um, like I, I guess size, like, or amount of adjustment amount maybe not it's the ease of adjustment and so the ability to correct simple mistakes very quickly 
Okay, so so in application, not yeah. necessarily in use or. Okay. So if I if I make a if I put my door box in because you know when you screw on door fronts, the box behind it'll shift a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. well, if you get the clips that have lateral adjustment on them, which costs like a dollar fifty, right? Um, versus the dollar of the regular clips, right? So. If I'm off by like a millimeter or two, I can adjust up to, I, I can't remember off the top of my head what the adjustability uh, left or right is. It's probably two or three millimeters, but I can adjust that. I just had to do it on the thing that I built. When, when I drilled the uh, screws in, the box shifted behind oh, the it. Thing. Oh, the, the thing. The cabinet for the desk. Yeah, <laughs> the thing. You know, the thing, the stuff, <laughs> the place. Um, and I was able to fix everything. If I have, if... If the drawer front shifts a little bit as I'm screwing it on and one side is lower than the other, I can adjust one side and, and raise it up and even my reveals. It's really remarkable what you can do with those drawer slides. But this guy's complaining about the difference of 42 millimeters versus 25. Yeah. That, I, I talked about that in my video where I was talking about like drawer spacing being so, mm -hmm. so tied to i need to make this drawer as big as possible do you i need to make it as deep well, as you know possible. we we could have fit this in here if we had an another 18 millimeters yeah it's like understand what you're putting in your drawers and build your cabinet accordingly like it's not if there was there wouldn't be standards right if there was a reason what? like do i need my 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 silverware drawer to be 13 inches deep and 75 Look, buddy, inches wide we're really sorry that you can't fit any more Warhammer forty thousand figurines yeah. in this drawer. That yeah, you know. I'm sorry, we can't. You can't put any more of your Pokemon cards, you loser. <laughs> Fuck, these people are just unbelievable. There's somebody out there that says like, I like Pokemon. All right, so this is the newest one that I got two hours ago. <laughs> this is on my uh, uh, latest video, the Top Rock. So I did two videos. They were both sponsored by uh, Festival. They're to promote new products. I don't think that that's any mm -hmm. any uh, surprise to anybody out there. But so I release this video, and this guy says, "A man like some women have to do what they must in order to make a living." What? Think about that for a second. <laughs> a man. So he's pretty. He's pretty much calling you a whore. Yeah, a man like some women have to do what they must in order to make a living. So I'm getting ridiculed because I made a video as part of a paid paid promotion, which I clearly labeled in the video. It is a sponsored video. And I'm getting hate for that because I did one for Festool. Man. Like, I don't care. I, I will be a, a tool bad word insert here all the way to the <laughs> bank for festival you know what i'm saying like yeah, it's yeah. festival yeah it, yeah you know it's it's not like you're panhandling some cheap crappy brand yeah it's not like i did rayobi and i use festival in the background all the time all of my stuff is like hey guys check out this new rayobi lawnmower it's amazing <laughs> Like, get out of here, guy. It's a brand that fits with my brand. Like, you clearly don't know anything check out, about Check me. out this new Ryobi hairdryer, yeah. guys. Let's talk about the tens of thousands of dollars that I've invested in that brand. Yeah. Stupid. God, I hate people. But I love Some them because we can turn content into content. Into content. That's right. They, they don't know this, but 
We are using them yeah. for all the hatred. I wonder if any of these people that leave these dumb comments listen to this podcast and know. No. No, they, they no. don't. But I wish they did. No. Just because it's like, you know what? I love sh- the fact that you are such an ignorant idiot. That you, t- you, can make, you can make linkable content. Like, I can link an Instagram post, can I? Uh, yes. Yeah. So what if, what if like some of the old ones that we've done? <laughs> you could. Like th- that I've made on Instagram, we, we reply to their comments with that. Yeah, you could. It'd be funny. Screw them. It'd be good. Forget this guy's man. Yeah. You know what I wanted to reply to the guy that did the comment about the audio? I was going to be like, well, when I was looking for tips on audio, I went to your channel to see if I could find any videos. And (laughs) And I didn't find any. Wait, I didn't find anything. (laughs) Thank you for your service. They they were pretty atrocious, though. Yeah. As all of ours always are in the beginning. Hey, before we close this out, I do want to mention that I listened to the podcast last week uh, with Ken. Mm -hmm. Wait, that was two weeks ago. Right? Yeah. 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 That was fantastic. It was a great episode, man. Fantastic. It was a really good episode. And and that's definitely one of my I, top three. There have been so many people that have um that messaged or replied to the post on Instagram, like the the release post or whatever. I'm gonna see and if And our our listener numbers jumped up too. I'm gonna see if I can't uh find some a pretty people at JLC that maybe might be interested in coming on the pod. I want. I want to say that that our numbers, our listener du- uh, numbers, doubled. Nice after that podcast. Yeah. So it it was definitely great. I mean, Ken Ken is super knowledgeable. Obviously, he. Um, I mean, he knows a little bit. He's. He's he's okay. Yeah, he's he's all right. He's not we, like he's not a very good cabinet maker. Seem, we kind of made him seem like he was better than he really was. Right. We gave him a lot of pre-answered questions, and we said, "Hey, Ken, look, we're going to say this, yeah. so you can just." Here are a couple options you can pick from. I just look at him as a guy that's trying to copy my idea of the Jive notebook. <laughs> he made the Hive notebook. It's, you know, whatever. Whatever people have to do to get by. It's America. It's a free country, but, you know, you shouldn't copy everything you see. I mean, when you're Ken. when you're basically throwing, you know, cheap cabinetry up in, like, spec homes, you know. It's, yeah. Yeah. Let's let's try to branch away from the particle board, Ken. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's try to. Yeah, it's like, oh, we made these cabinets, and then like two seconds before that, it just left Lowe's with like a, a bunch <laughs> of cabinet. I I just don't I don't understand. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ken is incredible. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a great episode, and you know there were a lot of people that I talked to at work at Con that um that would love to come on the podcast. So, um. I definitely want to start. Re- how how deep are their uh, pockets? <laughs> I definitely want to start reaching out to to more people. That was that was a lot of fun. So, yes, sir. But Jason, do you have what? Yes, sir. Do you have anything else you'd like to say before we close out yet another community driven episode? Nope. Alrighty, well, ladies and gentlemen, Jason and I were so happy that. You have decided to come and listen to the podcast, episode 30, a community episode. If you want to find Jason, you can go to Instagram or YouTube uh, at Ben's Woodworking and more. You can go to his website, benswoodworking.com. For me, you can go to Ben Marshall Designs at Instagram and YouTube and marshalldesignworks.com. I'm not even going to plug Sedge because he's not even here. 
I'm just joking. Hold on, let me you do it. You can find Sedge. Sedge Tool. Festool Sedge. Festool Shop Talk. Festool USA. Festool Live. <laughs> Sedgetool.com. <laughs> Tinder. Tool, Grinder. Tool Talk. Tool. Festool. It's, Bumble. Hinge. He's basically the Beyonce of woodworking, everybody. <laughs> and we miss him. But without like, the luscious... But without the luscious locks, we, uh, they're pretty luscious. We do we do miss him terribly tonight. It's we do. just not the same without Mister Sedgley. It's very quiet without Sedge. But thank you so much to everyone. We uh, we look forward to talking to you guys in the next episode. Bye bye. Cheers. Cheers.